Well, good morning this morning. Thank you, music. That was really um, just a blessing all around this morning. And um, wow, you know why we're free from condemnation is one of the things that we're going to talk about today, and that's, that's our position in Christ. And as we move on in the book of Romans, uh, we're going to pick back up in verse 12 this morning, and we'll cover three verses. And the reason we're going to cover three verses is because I'm going to provide a little bit of an introduction to this whole concept of identification, which is so key in in walking and living the Christian life, because there are things that we need to understand about our past, our past family history, if you will, and our current family history. And so we're going to look at that in the area of identification. One of the things that we've got to understand is, is in the area of justification, which is what we've been covering in the first four and a half, five chapters of the book of Romans, we understand that justification is an act of God, a one-time act, a judicial, a legal declaration of righteousness. Now, in this act, God does not make somebody righteous. That's something different. That's called sanctification. But in justification, God legally bangs the gavel down and declares the person righteous who puts their faith in Jesus, and what he did for them by dying for their sins and rising again. And that is a one-time act that's done, complete, the moment someone transferred their, their faith from whatever they were trusting in and puts it in Jesus and him alone. They are justified, done deal, past tense, one-time event. God has declared them righteous. When we move into sanctification, which we're going to be doing here as we move into the end of Romans chapter 5, into chapter 6, 7, and eight even, the, the beginning part, what we're going to see is, is different from justification because this is an ongoing act of God, an ongoing work of the Spirit of God in our lives, okay? And in this stage, God is trying to make us practically holy. He's made provisions so that you can grow in holiness and grow in righteousness um, to, be, to stay in fellowship with him. That's really the goal. It's, just remember, Christianity is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. It's not about just getting together and doing the right things, checking off the boxes, you know, stop doing these things and stop checking off these boxes. The God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, wants a relationship with you. John tells us that he desires those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And so God is, is not as caught up on the externals that we get caught up on. He's more concerned about what's going on internally. What's going on in your mind? How are you thinking? How are you relating to him? How are you viewing life and life circumstances? Are you viewing it just the way the world does? You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or is your, hopefully your finger's not coming out. Is your, is your fist coming out just like everybody else in the world? Or is that how you view life, that, that life is, is centered around you? Or are you viewing it from a divine perspective? That's what sanctification is all about. You know, but as we talk about Christianity, we have an identity crisis going on. And I'm not talking about stolen identity. I'm, I'm talking about believers who don't understand who we are and what we possess because we're now in Christ. And that's a, a great word a great phrase, in Christ. There's, there's meaning to that. It's not just a preposition and a name. There's, there's depth of meaning that you can never explore, I don't think, in this lifetime fully, but we want to try to because we want to benefit from what that means to be in Christ. You know, it reminds me of a story. Uh, many airline people here in our bodies, so you'll appreciate this. 
Ever dealt with a difficult person in the airline industry, difficult customer? Of course you have, probably on a daily basis. But a United Airlines gate agent in Denver, Colorado, was confronted with a passenger who probably deserved to fly his cargo uh, instead of flying uh, in coach. But uh, during the final days uh, at Denver's old Stapleton Airport, a crowded United flight was canceled. And unfortunately, they weren't staffed up to handle all of the rebooking. So they had a single agent at the desk doing the best job that she can, rebooking a long line of inconvenienced travelers. Suddenly, an angry passenger pushed his way to the desk. You just know what's coming, don't you? He slaps his ticket down on the counter and he said, I have to be on this flight and it has to be first class. Make it happen. The agent replied, like all travel agents, all uh, you know, airline agents do. I mean, they're polite and professional. She says, I'm sorry, sir. I'll be happy to try to help you, but I've got to help these folks first. So if you'll get to the end of the line, I'm sure we'll be able to work something out when it's your turn. And then he responded, unimpressed. He asked loudly so that the passengers behind him could hear, do you have any idea who I am? Now, just a sidebar on that story. If you have to ask somebody if they know who you are, they, they don't. All right. So that's just like a non, they don't even go there. So he says, do you know who I am? This is great. Without hesitating, the gate agent smiled, grabbed her public address microphone and said, may I have your attention, please? She began her voice bellowing through the terminal. We have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him find his identity, please come to gate 17. The folks behind him in line began laughing hysterically. And although people were late due to the canceled flight, they were no longer angry at United. But you know, for many believers, the same thing is happening. There is an identity crisis. We do not know who we are in Christ. And as a result of that, we continue to run the treadmill of a failed Christian life experience. We read about power in the New Testament. We read about victory over sin. And we say, that could never be me. I could never experience that. And we have to understand who you are in Christ. You've got to understand the resources that you possess. Now that you put your faith in Christ to save you from the penalty of sin, There are resources that God has equipped you with, provided you with, so that you can live in victory over the power of sin. We've got to look at that this morning. And one of the ways that Paul begins to introduce this whole topic of sanctification is he does it through the idea of federal headship. He does it through the idea of federal headship. And what does federal headship mean? Well, very simply put, it means that your leader, your authority, whoever that is, makes a decision that impacts you. He does something or she does something that impacts you. And so let's just look through it from an American perspective. I I would assume most people in this room are American citizens. There might be a, a straggler here and there, and that's okay. You're welcome in our church. Um, But let's just assume that we've got American citizens here, and we can relate to this federal headship. You know, if President Trump makes an alliance with a certain country, we are in alliance with that country. Now, before anybody tries to give me a civics lesson, I I understand Congress and the Senate. I mean, I know. they got to work with them on some of these things. I get it. I'm just using this as an example. But if if we have an ally in Germany, You have an ally in Germany, and it's based on the decision of our federal head. In contrast, if he declares war on a certain country, if we go home today and read the news and we're at war with North Korea, you are now at war 
with North Korea as an American citizen because your federal head has decided to engage us in war, we're now at war. If he changes health care, and some people say amen, if he's able to, to work through that, then our health care will change. We will be impacted on the ground with how we do health care. If he changes the tax code, then our tax reporting structure will change. I think we get the point. In fact, everyone in here was impacted by an ancestral federal head. In, in other words, you are an American here today because at some point, someone in your history and your ancestry moved to America. They made that decision to move here, and you've benefited from that decision. You are now an American because of that decision. You didn't make that decision. They made the decision, and you have been impacted by it. And so you see this concept, uh, hopefully that, that makes sense as it regards to the federal head. You know, the same is true of an employer. When your employer decides to remove the coffee pot from the break room, you suffer, don't you? Yeah. You, and then when he decides to put in a Coke machine with flavors, you benefit from that as an employee. So you see this concept of federal head really working out in lots of different areas in our life. You know, I think of one even in our personal family. When Carrie and I decided to move to Georgia to, to take this role as pastor, guess what? Our kids weren't able to decide, yeah, you guys go ahead. We'll stay in Texas. Their federal head, me, made the decision to move to Georgia, and they needed to hop on that moving truck when we were rolling out of town, and they were coming with me. And so there's people impacted by what federal heads do. Here's the thing we've got to understand is that God sees all of humanity in one of two categories, under two, one of two federal heads. You, as you sit here today, you're not black, you're not white, you're not Hispanic, you don't have a southern drawl, you don't have a northern accent, y'all don't, you don't say A, you don't say y'all. I mean, that's not how God sees people. I know that's how we see people. God sees people as it relates to who they are in their federal head. You either sit here today and you are in Adam or you are in Christ. That's God's estimation of everybody in the world today. There's only two heads, if you will, of the human race. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. And so as we jump into Romans 5, and before we get there, we want to understand a couple of things. The decisions that your federal head makes, you are impacted by. And that's what the whole chapter of Romans is about. Now, the bad news is, is we had a federal head that we were born into in, in our natural family that made a very poor decision, and you were impacted negatively by it. And we say, oh, man, that's not fair. I mean, I'm held accountable for, for something this guy did thousands of years ago. But here's, here's where it's great that it remains unfair, because God now can accept you into his family based on what this other federal head did for you. And that's not fair either. <laughs> and that's why we rejoice in the grace of God because God can give you something you don't deserve. But just like he did with, with Adam, it's the same way he's going to do with Christ. But it's two different distinctions. And so that's what we're going to look at really in Romans chapter, fly, chapter 5, not 5. Um, and so when we talk about identification, many times people will say, well, it's the first Adam and the second Adam. You'll hear that that concept, and talking about two different heads, that's, that's incorrect, and I'll tell you why. Because if there's a first Adam and a second Adam, what's it potentially imply? There could be a third Adam. There could be a fourth Adam. It, this list could go on and on. 
But I like more of the phrase, phraseology, the first Adam and the last Adam, pronouncing some finality that there's not going to be another federal head that God is going to identify you with. You're either identified with Adam or you're identified with Christ. And so one of the things we need to know as a believer is whom God identifies us with. In other words, we need to know who our federal head is. And that should impact the way that we live our life. And based on God's identification with us in Christ, we're going to see some remarkable truths in Romans 6. Number one, because you're in Christ, you died to sin. That's Romans chapter 6. Because you're in Christ, you died to the law. That's Romans chapter 7. And because you're in Christ, Romans 8, 1 is going to tell us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation that remains for you. And it's not based on your behavior. It's based on the fact that God placed you in this box, if you will, in Christ, and you actually benefit from what he's done for you on this federal head level. So as a believer, we need to know the following three things. Number one, who our federal head is. Number two, what our federal head has done. And then number three, how we have been impacted by it. And it's in this area of how that we're going to find the key to sanctification. We're going to find the key to growing in our Christ-likeness, to growing in spirituality. It's in this how that we're going to begin to see that God not only made a provision for the penalty of sin, but God has made a provision for the power of sin in the believer's life. And if you don't know what that is, and if I were to ask you, take a sheet of paper and write down what provision did God make for the power of sin in your life, and you would be scratching your head and not really sure what to write, or you'd just be guessing, this study is going to be, I think, meaningful to you, because you're going to see from the Word of God what God has done to give you victory over sin in your life. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. Now, it's theological, but it's theological in the sense that you can take it down and put it right into your shoe leather. This is exactly where you and I live on a daily basis. And so let's continue to dive in here. We, uh, on the same side, is not just recognizing that God identifies us with Christ, but we need to change our thinking. We need to begin to identify ourselves with the federal head that God identifies us with. This is recognizing that you're part of the family. You know, many of you have, have um, stayed the night somewhere, maybe with some friends. And you know how it is. You, you get in, maybe you, you roll into town about 8 o'clock, and you catch up a little bit, and then they head off to bed. And uh, you're, you're brushing your teeth, getting ready to go to bed, and it's about 10.30. And, and you say, man, I'm thirsty. And what do you do? Well, you're like, oh, I don't know where any of their cups are. I don't know if I'm allowed to take, I mean, is this cups that they use or is this just cups that they keep in their cabinet? And so, and so what do you end up doing? Well, you're in the bathroom sink, maybe just getting a drink out of your water because you don't want to mess up the system. You know, you don't, you don't feel part of the family, but then the next morning say, hey, we forgot to show you, man, here's the bowls, here's the cups, here's the, the spoons, here's the forks. And, and this whole pantry is for you. You can have cereal. And you, I just had this experience in Texas. I mean, they, they went out and bought a ton of food from me. I thought, man, they must think I'm fat because they like filled the pantry up for me. They said, you can have all of this. But they showed me where the bowls were. And you know, even the first day, I kind of hesitatingly was like, ooh, can I get that myself or should I ask them for the bowl? But by day two, I was walking around like I owned the place. You know, I was taking, taking bowls out here and I was making this and I was mixing this up. And, and you know, that's kind of the imagery that we got. When you're in Christ, 
God wants you to rest in your position and enjoy the benefits that he's got for you. He doesn't want you inching around or acting like you don't belong. You belong. Not because you're good or special or got your stuff together today. You belong because Jesus Christ has got his stuff together. Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do, and God accepts you on the basis of that. In fact, we find, uh, before we go on in Romans, we find in 1 Corinthians 1, a very subtle statement in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says this, but of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus. Who placed you into Christ? God the Father did. And God wants you to remain there permanently, and that's the, that's the whole point of this positional truth is that you are in Christ permanently. You can never leave that box. And so let's continue to look at some of the truth. And, you know, one of the things I know that makes no sense right now, but I'll, let me explain. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we talk about when God identifies you with Jesus Christ, we need to begin to identify ourselves as being in Christ. And I put this up here as a great example because I've had uh, two sons now one, the, the youngest one especially, loves Spider-Man. And so you know what happens when he loves Spider-Man? He runs around the house and he's throwing up little webs, you know, pretend webs. And he's flipping around the couch and, and acting like, you know, psh, I mean, he's making the sounds. And he puts on his Spider-Man mask and his Spider-Man shirt. And, and he identifies with Spider-Man. And in that moment, when, when he's running around like this, this is what he thinks he looks like. He's... He's identified with him. And we see this with little girls identifying themselves as they grow up with, with whatever, princesses or, or kids identifying themselves with, with different athletes wearing their jersey and saying, yeah, I'm going to do just like LeBron James. And they're and, you know, trying to dribble between their legs and it kind of looks like you know, this. And they, they don't quite, but they think they look like him. They're identifying themselves. We see this in schools. You know, the, the gothic kids sit over here. The athletes sit over here. The, the, the academic decathlon kids, the student count. You know, and, and, they, and you identify with a group. You, and, and many times, you know, you don't, you don't identify with a, a, a gothic group unless you're willing to paint your nails black and wear black lipstick and dye your hair black and wear black clothes. And you start to look like the group that you identify with. And see, there's benefit just even in this mindset of identification, starting to see yourself the way God sees you. You know, if you've ever made the comment, ah, oh, man, I'm just a failure. I'll never amount to anything in the Christian life. You need to stop identifying yourself with the old Adam. You need to stop seeing yourself as associated with him. That's not true of you anymore. Now, you may fail. You may make mistakes. But God sees you in Christ. He sees you with potential. Because the moment that you begin to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you're spiritual and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so we begin to just change our thinking and, and acknowledge that we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. And this is very important as we go forward. And again, I know I've told you we're going to do a little bit of a longer introduction this morning. Um, but before we do this, let's review our history. You know, it's one of those, it's an interesting thing, and there may be even some in this room who, um, who did not grow up with their biological parents, you know, and I think of the stories you read where, where kids are adopted off early in life as a baby, and they, they grow up in a loving family of adoptive parents, and yet usually what happens about the time they start hitting their teenage years? 
there's a, there's a curiosity. So they just, they love their family. They, lo- they, they love what's, what's been going on. They love the fact that they adopted them. But there's this itching curiosity to know their real biological parents. There's this itching curiosity to see if they have any brothers and sisters, if, if their parents are still alive, they, the story behind why they were given. There's just this itching curiosity to know their history. And in the same way, we want to just review our history in Adam because once we understand this history, I think we're going to be so much more ready to, to put it in our rearview mirror and to stop identifying ourselves in this way and begin to identify ourselves the way that God now sees us. And so some of the quick summaries, and we'll just bring these up uh, to show some distinctions. But in Adam, you entered your federal head's family through birth. And not to be funny, but just kind of raided my kid's um, toy closet. But we'll just kind of use this guy as an example, you know, and when you're, when you're born physically, you're born in Adam. That's your federal head. That's who God identifies you with. That's whose family you're in. And you enter that by physical birth. So that's true of everybody who's ever been born physically. They're in Adam. They're under that federal head. Nobody born physically is, is automatically born in Christ or in that family. Okay? And so we see that this is true of everybody that's ever been a human in mankind's history. They're born in Adam. But you know, in Christ, you don't enter by a physical birth. You don't climb back into your mother's womb and get born again like Nicodemus thought. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And you enter Christ's family through spiritual birth. And so the moment you hear the gospel that Christ died for your sins and rose again and you put your faith in him and him alone, you are now um, taken out of the family of Adam and you are born again in Christ. And so no longer to go back to this family, as we'll see as we continue the the distinctions and the contrast. This is what we're going to see in Romans 5. Adam had committed one trespass. As our federal head, he made a big mistake, and we all suffered the consequences for that. In Christ, he performed a righteous act that benefited all who will trust in his righteous act. One act by the federal head condemns everybody in Adam, But also, in contrast, Christ, by one act, this federal head can free everybody. Free everybody from condemnation. I appreciate that song that the Richardson sisters sang this morning. In Adam, everyone in Adam will face condemnation, the lake of fire. We learn from Romans 8.1 that everyone in Christ will never face condemnation. They've been justified. They've been declared righteous. They have a ticket to heaven, if you will. Everyone in Adam has guilt. Everyone in Christ, guilt has been removed through the sacrifice of Christ, and we actually have life. And not only eternal life in a quantitative sense in talking about time frame, but a quality of life. Understanding that when we sin, that sin has been paid for. Understanding that when we sin, there's also fellowship forgiveness available when we confess our sin, that God wants us right back into fellowship with him. And so we understand these things uh, as it relates positionally. The other thing we see in Adam is that sin reigns like a king through death. This is why sin dominates and dominates and dominates the unbeliever. Now, they may, you may say, well, there are unbelievers that do a lot of good things. I, I understand that from a human perspective, that's true. You know, I, I would love to have a neighbor that, that helps and mows my lawn once in a while than a neighbor that wants to kill me. I mean, I get that. You know, there's... There's differences of level 
of goodness, and I and I understand it. But from God's perspective, what He says is that every good work, all our righteousness is, are like filthy rags. In other words, even the good things that unbelievers do are not acceptable to God. They don't meet that standard. There's some motive that's off there. There's some desire to be maybe seen for their good works or to be recognized. We don't know. The point is, is that none of those good works are acceptable to God. And so sin, even in these quote-unquote good works, reigns. And all sin produces, it's like clockwork, death, 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 death. That's all sin does. Now, in Christ, grace reigns through righteousness. Grace is going to reign through righteousness. And that's not only a positional righteousness, which we have in Christ, where we were declared righteous the moment we put our faith in Christ, but also God making us practically righteous as we begin to rest in these truths. In Adam, the ground and source for sin and death is, is found in him and that relationship to him. But in Christ, the ground and source of righteousness and life is found. In Adam, you've got one source to live from, sin. And that's, that's the thing. That's, that's why when you, when you understand this concept of federal headship and, you, and somebody thinks and, and looks at, at getting to heaven and they think, well, all you got to do is do good works to help you get out of this box, into this box. You see that, that you're buried, that what he did condemned you. There's no, no way to get out of this on your own. And that's why good works never uh, contribute to anything because every good work is clouded by the fact that you are in Adam, that you've got no chance of getting out of him on your own. We looked at 1 Corinthians one thirty. It's of God that you're in Christ. It's of God that you were removed from Adam. God has got to do that miraculous work of changing your federal head. You cannot do it yourself, but you can trust in the one who can do it for you. And see, that's the message of the gospel. But you know, in Christ, you have the potential to live from one of two sources. Now, that doesn't mean that you bounce back and forth between boxes. What that means is we're going to see in Romans 6 is even though you're now in Christ, you've got an indwelling source of sin that you can continue to present yourself to and be its slave. Or you have for the first time the ability to present yourself to God and be a slave of righteousness. But you have that choice. You've got that ability to count on God's provision for you and either present yourself to sin or to present yourself to God. And so you've got the potential to live, even as a Christian, from one of two sources. The person at Adam doesn't have that choice. They've got one source to live from, and that's sin. This is great news. You can leave this family. You can get out of this family. And it's via death. We're going to see that not only did Christ die for your sins, but you died with Christ. You died with Christ. Did you know that you have already died if you're a believer? You didn't attend that funeral. (laughs) But you know that that's true of you. The moment you put your faith in Christ, God identified you so closely with Jesus Christ that he took you into his death, burial, and resurrection. He did it for a purpose, and that's to free you from sin. We're going to see that in Romans 6. But that's how you get out of the family. That's how you get out of this family. And how did you get into this family? You were born again. You were born into this family. Here's the good news about being in this family. You can never leave this family. And you know why? Because you can no longer die. Because Christ lives, because your federal head lives, you live. Because Christ was raised up, you will be raised up. That's the truth of the Bible. You can no longer have any chance of leaving this family, and that is eternal security on a grand level. 
Because now you are found in Christ. And so when God looks at you, he no longer sees the sin that, that, that weighs you down in Adam. He sees you in Christ, his beloved son. And every time he looks to his right hand and sees his son sitting next to him and smiles at Jesus, in many ways he's smiling at you. And he accepts you the way that he accepts his son. He loves you the way that he loves his son. Why is this the case? Because he's put you in Christ. You're in the right box. You're identified with the right federal head. And so as we go on now, let's jump into Romans chapter 5 after we have introduced this concept. Go, to, go with me to Romans 5, and we're going to start in verse 12. Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And so in Romans uh, 5.12, what we see is this, this word therefore. Okay, why is that there? Do you, do you remember where we came from in chapter 5? We came out of the first 11 verses really detailing the benefits of our justification. And we looked at, um, I, th- I think it was eight or nine benefits that we have now that we're justified. One of those um, being in verse 1, we have peace with God. Another one is we've got the ability to look at trials from God's perspective and understand why trials come to us in life. These are all benefits from justification. And so now what he's saying is this, therefore, based on all of that, you're safe and secure because of our new position and because of whom we are now identified with. And to to do that, he's going to review your history. See, before we are identified with Adam. And now he's going to say, just as you are identified with Adam, now that you're saved, now that you've been justified, you're identified with Christ. In fact, we see this, this phrase in verse 12, just as through one man. It's comparing, he's comparing these two federal heads. And the reason he's comparing is he wants to give us confidence in our new federal head, in Christ, what we have now in Christ. And this really solidifies everything he's been teaching because it's not that God capriciously says, oh, you know, it's like the, what is that old flower, the, the daisy, right? She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me. And then you just hope you get down to the bottom and she still loves me. You know, and you, but you never know unless you count the petals before. But God is not in heaven going, um, I love him. I love him not. I love him. I love him not. No, God, the moment you put your faith in Christ, you're there. You're there to stay permanently. It's not a daisy kind of love. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And he can accept you based on the basis of his grace because of what Jesus has done for you and because of the fact that he's placed you in Christ. And so what we see from this verse is notice that it's just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. And what we see here is the act of this one man, Adam, caused sin to enter the world. Okay, why, is, why does the world have sin in it? Why is there suffering? Why is there death? We can all point the finger back at Adam. What an uncomfortable place to be, you know. <laughs> You're at the, you know, something goes wrong and everyone's pointing their finger at you, but it's true. This is where it all came into existence, right there in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis 3, when Adam took the fruit of the tree that he was commanded not to eat from. That's when sin entered the world. And guess what? Death tracked right along behind him. 
And this happened at the fall. And we also see in James 1.15 this progression as well. It's this internal lust, these internal desires that lead to sin. And then sin, when it's completed, leads to death or brings death. And so we see that same pattern even in our own lives. But where did it enter the world? Where did it come in? It came in right at the fall. Now, why is this important to you? This is an old Sunday school lesson. I already know that Adam fell. I already know that Adam sinned. I, I mean, I got that back in Genesis 3. You know, we're in Romans. Why are we still talking about that? It's because of this concept of federal headship. That's, that's why when he did that, you were impacted. In fact, the entire human race was impacted. And that's what Paul is going to talk about because this one act, because we were united with Adam, had serious ramifications, not only for him, but for all of us. And so the first ramification we see uh, is simply this. Death came into the world through Adam's sin. This is where death came from. Um, you know, we, we see in Genesis 2.16, God clearly told Adam and Eve that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. And so when we get into Romans 5.12, our acts of sin are not even in view here. We, Paul covered that in Romans 1.18 through, through 3.20, where he talks about yours and I's acts of sin. The fact that all have sinned and committed acts of sin. That's not even in view here. What God is saying is because Adam sinned, you actually sinned in Adam. You were held responsible for what your federal head did. And I know we're sitting there and saying, well, that's not fair. That's okay. Hang, hang with me because unfairness is actually going to be a good thing when we start talking about our second federal head. But you know that this death in Adam's life uh, occurred in multiple aspects. And we looked at this, we've looked at this a couple of times in the book of Romans. But um, first, he died physically. And that's the way we typically think of death. We think of physical death. We've been to funerals. We've, we've been to open caskets where we come up and pay our respects to our friend. And, and our friend's body's there, our loved one's body's there, but they're not there. You know, there's this separation that occurs at physical death between the spirit and the soul and the body. But that physical death happened to Adam 900 years after he ate from the fruit. But you know what else? Other aspects of death is, is number two, relational. He immediately had a separation in his relationship with God. We see that the way that he responded to God's presence in the garden. He hid from him. He, he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. There was a relational death there. That one happened immediately. And then the third one uh, is this spiritual death. And that would, that would mean this, that if Adam's sin problem was not taken care of, that he would spend eternity separated from God in a place that God had initially created for Satan and his angels called the lake of fire. But that also happened immediately. Adam's position of friendship and fellowship had completely changed as a result, a result of death. And that's when death entered the world. When sin entered the world, death followed. Now, we see this uh, death in all of these aspects also spread to all men. Look at 5.12 again. He says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, notice this next phrase, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. And again, we're not talking about your acts of sin. What we're saying is because Adam sinned, you sinned. Because Adam died, you died. Because Adam was condemned, you're condemned. See, it all has to do with this federal headship. What did Adam do that impacted you? You know, and at a federal level, this is why everyone still dies. You know, you've never met anybody that's beat that ultimate statistic. 10 out of 10 people die. 
You ever met anybody that's never died? All of us have died. And the reason for that is because of what Adam did. We were taken into his death. We were associated with him, uh, him as our federal head. Now, the second thing we see from Adam is because all men sinned in Adam because he was their federal head. So when he sinned, you also sinned. You know, we talked about it's not talking about our acts of sin here, but our position of sin. Not only have we done wrong, but we were also born wrong. That's one of the things that many times we don't think of. And that's why, again, this whole concept of good works. Well, if I just do more good things than I do bad things, then maybe I can go to heaven. No, the, the issue is, is not only the things you do or don't do, but your birth. Your birth was wrong. Your federal head was wrong. You were associated with him and what he did, and you reaped the consequences from that. And so what is Paul is referring to specifically is that each one of us would experience death, condemnation, etc. because of what Adam did. Again, death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. So this section is specifically discussing this, and we, hopefully this point has been made, that man's single action got all of us into trouble. And also, what we're going to see at the end of Romans 5 is how another man's single action could get us out of a bad spot, could get us out of trouble. Now, Paul just makes this statement, and what we're going to see in verses 13 to 14, he's going to prove his statement. How do, how do we know that, that death and, and sin spread to all men? How do, we, how do we know that from the pages of history? Well, we get into verses 13 and 14, and we read this. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, I want you to notice something at the beginning of verse 13, if you hadn't noticed it before. Uh, Do you have a parenthesis there? Most of you will have a parenthesis in your Bible there. And if you trace down where that parenthesis ends, it should end at the end of verse 17. And so Paul really quickly takes a, a sidebar to explain this in more detail or to prove his point. If we were just reading through um, with, with just kind of the, the information full flow, we would jump from verse 12 to verse 18. And notice that conclusion in verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one, one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. That's really the conclusion of the thought in verse 12. That's how you put it all together. But we have this little parenthesis in here. And I think it's important because I think what Paul is doing is he's, he's proving that uh, what he's saying is true. That sin is not imputed without law. We see this in verse 13. And he makes an interesting point because what he's going to say is that sin has been in the world since Adam and death has also been in the world since Adam. But the law came years later with Moses. So how does that reconcile? Because we always thought, well, if you break the law, then you you die. And that's why death is there. And Paul is saying, no, no, the reason people die is because they were associated with their federal head. They were impacted by what Adam did. He was the race of that family. In fact, this is probably, as you know your history in Genesis, this is probably why God did not kill Cain on the spot. There was not a law that said don't kill yet. That came 
in the law. And so he wasn't killed on the spot, but did Cain die eventually? Yeah, he died, unless you know where he lives today. I, um, he's dead. Why did he die? Is he, did he die because he killed his brother? Or did he die because his father had sinned? And death entered the world through sin. And he was in his father when Adam sinned. And he reaped the benefits of his federal head. That's, that's why Cain died. And that's Paul's point here. Because of this sin, um, sin was not imputed, per se, or charged their account because no one had violated a clearly defined and revealed standard. No one had broken a law yet. There was only two people on earth that could have broken the law that was given, and that was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they broke it. Past that, there were no other clearly defined standards. And yet, you read Genesis 5, and it's just a funeral procession. And this guy lived, and he got so-and-so, and then he died. And then this guy lived, and he got so-and-so, and then he died. And then this guy lived, and he got so-and-so, and he died. And he died, and he died, and he died. And it's just a funeral procession proving exactly what Paul says here is that because you were identified with your federal head, death came into the world. Death came to you. Sin came to you. That's why we stand condemned before a holy God. There's a, a source issue, a, a position, a family issue here. And remember, because of our federal headship relationship with Adam, we also experience the consequences from his one action. Again, this is how Paul is proving that all men sinned in Adam and then suffered the consequences of Adam's sin. Verse 14, we have this, this concept that death reigned. Death reigned like a king, you might say. Death reigned. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. And so he says, well, in spite of this, or nevertheless, in spite of the fact that there was not a clear standard to violate, everyone from Adam to Moses still died. And this happened to them because of what had happened to their federal head. Now, not to confuse things, but Enoch did walk with God. So Enoch didn't die, did not die. We saw that in Genesis 5. Um, I think there's a reason for that, but it's a side trail. We'll, we won't get into that today. Um, but in terms of what had happened to everybody, it proves the fact that Paul says God views humanity in relationship to their federal head. Okay, And as a result, even though they had not committed or violated a law, they too died from Adam to Moses. Death is said to have reigned, literally meaning to rule over. Nobody escaped the death penalty. Um, every time you see a, a little white casket of a little, little baby that's passed away, that's a reminder of this truth. That's a reminder of this truth. That's why even babies can die. Because they, they too, and, that, and that's the hardest thing to say, right, from, from, a, from a pastor's perspective, from a father, to say that, these little babies sinned in Adam, and that's why they died? Or, I mean, that's not the reason they died, but that is a reason death enacts on them. That's a hard thing to say, because you see these little babies, so they're so innocent. What happened? But it just proves the point of federal headship. The fact that what Adam did impacted us all. As we said, no one from Adam to Moses had a clear-cut command, don't eat from this, don't do this, or you'll surely die. And so when Adam sinned, he transgressed. He willingly violated the direct command of God. It wasn't something that he was confused about. He knew exactly what he was not supposed to do. 
He knew exactly what tree he was supposed to stay away from. And so no one after him up until Moses sinned in the same manner than Adam did. A clearly defined standard, which he willingly violated. Nobody did that. And yet, everyone still died. And that's the point that Paul is driving home here. And then he makes this last comment in the very last part of verse 14. He says, uh, of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come? And that's what we're going to get into in the rest of this chapter. But this word type uh, is an interesting word. Um, But what it is telling us is just as Adam was a federal head whose action affected many, there would be another one who would have more positive effects on many. And so when we look at this word type, it's an interesting word. It means to uh, something that's caused by strikes or blows or a mark or a print, um, an impression. And so the idea is just as Adam made a decision that impacted many, there's going to be another one who made a decision, who committed a righteous act instead of a failure, who's going to have the ability to impact many. And of course, we know that to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the rest of the, tra- the chapter, rest of the chapter describes how Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Now, again, why are we going through this? Why does Paul even go here? I, I used to know of a uh, of a guy, um, a pastor that would teach Romans 1 through 8, and he would skip this section because he, he didn't even know why it fit. He was just like, That's, uh, this is kind of missing the point. I mean, we've got justification. We just go right into sanctification. So why is this so important? This is so important because the method, uh, the means by which you are sanctified goes through this process of, of um, identification because the way that God made provision for, for you to have deliverance from sin's power it is a direct result of your identification with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at in Romans 6. So this is very important. It also should hopefully give you great confidence um, in your life that everything that the Bible says that you have now that you're saved, that you can know that you have it. You can't lose it. It's yours forever. When God promises you eternal life, you have eternal life. That means everlasting life that doesn't end. When God promises you that you're accepted in the beloved, that means even on your worst day, you're accepted. Why? Because you behaved and you performed and you did it. No, because quite frankly, even on our best day, we don't deserve to be accepted, but we are accepted, Ephesians tells us, in the beloved. I love that word. As God describes Jesus Christ, he describes him as the agape son, the unconditionally. Do you, would you ever think that God the Father could be upset with Jesus or unsatisfied with Jesus, or just say, Jesus, you know, get away from me. You're, uh, you're bothering me today. I mean, could that ever happen? No, he's completely satisfied with Jesus. He completely loves Jesus. And because you are in Christ, you are completely accepted in Christ. That's the message of identification. And so how can this, how can knowing this impact you? Well, a couple of things. Um, I believe it's foundational for knowing and relying upon God's provision for victory over sin in your life. And I also think that, in, that, um, that that's a very practical reason, but I even think more practically, it can change, completely change the way that you view yourself in, in your life in general. You know, I, was, I, I just borrowed this list from a, a book that I thought was just very insightful. And um, it, it's just a contrast of many times what we think or feel about ourselves versus what God says about me. 
You know, I don't know if you've ever done that before. And, and um, so many times we, we think um, of ourselves. well, I'm, I'm always the last one chosen. No, no, one would, no one would pick me. You know, Ephesians 1.4 says that you're chosen by the one who makes the rules, <laughs> the one whose opinion really matters. You're, you're chosen in Christ. I, I feel guilty all the time. I, I, just, I just don't measure up. There's no way God could accept me. Do you know that, that God says, that, and he's the one who makes the rules, he says if you put your faith in Christ, you're forgiven. You don't, you don't have to have guilt anymore, that he's taken that away. Um, God seems so far away. The word of God says you've been brought near to God in Christ. You're near to God in Christ. Oh, my problems are too trivial for God. As we heard in the, the music today, no, you have boldness and confidence to enter his presence. I'm too weak to resist sin. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm never going to change. I'm always going to struggle with this sin. Um, you know, the truth of the word of God is that Christ has freed you from sin's dominion. You, you do not have to be dominated by sin. In fact, the normal Christian life should be a life of victory, not a life of failure. And if you're experiencing failure today and you've convinced yourself, well, that's just the way it is, I've got good news for you. I've got a lot of good news for you over the, the course of the next few months. That's not true of you. Now that you're in Christ, you've got the ability to live in victory. And that is a glory, hallelujah. That is a gospel <laughs> truth for the believer in Jesus Christ. We've got to know that we've got that. I feel like God has given up on me. God doesn't condemn you because you're in Christ. He will never condemn you. You will never be condemned, even on your worst day, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I feel like no one loves me. I'm not a saint, you know. I I feel like no one loves me. You are fully accepted in Jesus Christ by God the Father. These are all true of you because of your position in Christ. You need to start seeing yourself. If you don't today, you need to start viewing yourself as whatever your name is, John in Christ. I am accepted in the beloved. I am loved unconditionally by the Father. He will never cast me out, no, not ever. And I'll be with him for eternity. We need to understand these truths. These are so important. They can change your life on a daily basis, just learning how to identify yourself with the federal head that God identifies you with. I'm inadequate. I'm lacking. I'm not good enough. No, the word of God says you are complete in Christ. You have the fullness that you need to live the Christian life. You got it all. You're not lacking anything. Let's, as we leave this morning, let's believe these truths. Let's start to incorporate these these truths into our thinking. Let's start to recognize that God had a plan for Romans 5, 12 through 21, and it's not just to go past it as quick as we can. It's to prepare us to soak in and rest in and start to walk in the truth of our sanctification. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Lord, these truths are... um, too rich, uh, I believe, to, to solely be communicated by a human voice. We, we need you to be our teacher. You've got to teach us these things, Lord. You've got to reveal um, these truths to us. You've got to make them real. And, and just so we just, we just ask that you would give us um, spiritual understanding in these areas. How can this impact us uh, this week? How can we begin to apply and believe these truths as we live and walk in our life. And just, Lord, we need your wisdom to do that. We're so inadequate for the task, not only in, 
in teaching these truths, but also believing these truths, we, we seem so inadequate. And so we just cast our, our, our hearts upon you because we want to walk in these truths. We want to enjoy fellowship with you on a more consistent basis. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.